Hello. Welcome back to the Burning Eye podcast. I'm Bridget. Nice to speak to you. See you again. Hear you again. Not sure which one of those is correct. Nothing's correct anymore, is it? (laughs) Um, This week, um, I'm joined by the wonderful Jonathan Kinsman, um, and we're going to be talking about his new collection, Witness, which is now available from our web store. Um, And if you missed the launch of Witness, you can watch it back on our Instagram account at Burning Eye Books. Um, So enjoy the interview and I hope everyone is having a good day. So I'm joined today uh, by the wonderful Jonathan Kingsman. Hi, John. Hi. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. My pleasure. So nice to have you. It's it's been a, a bit of a weird time, hasn't it? releasing a book in uh in lockdown yeah it was like a weird time to plan some big career moves yeah it really was <laughs> yeah I think a lot of people had the same thing of like oh shit now what do I do <laughs> yeah. but you know there are there are things that you know so Burning I have been staggering our titles to do two a month instead of our usual 10 hundred a month <laughs> <laughs> and um so that we can give more time to each title as they come out. So obviously part of that is um, doing a online book launch, which we did the other day on Instagram. Yeah, that was really fun. Yeah. I, if you missed it, then don't worry. You can watch it back on our IGTV, which is uh, up and available now. So do go and do, do go and do it. I loved the launch. I, I am a massive history nerd. And Oh, yeah. I love history of religion and I think it's so fascinating. And that was part of the reason why I was so drawn to your original manuscript uh, when it came to submissions. I remember reading all of it and just being like, wow, that was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, I'm really glad that you like it and Burning Eyes put like their their face in it because like genuinely when I started writing these, I was like, oh no, this is a weird niche thing that no one is ever going to (laughs) see because like it was so many like intersections of things that that, like traditionally don't go together like have some performance poetry with religion but also gay (laughs) yeah the crossovers of it were I think quite unique like I haven't read another manuscript like that um which is again Um, why it like stood out so much um and I remember thinking uh, this is this is a really brave thing to write about because obviously writing about Christianity, especially modern Christianity, can be <laughs> a bit of a minefield and you can definitely open yourself up to vulnerability by uh, by writing stuff like that. Even, even now, you know, I think it's um, in an age of extremism, it's really important to, to put a fresh set of eyes or a fresh narrative on something that we think we know we think we know oppresses us yeah um christianity is weird especially in the uk because um the church of england which is uh, the denomination i was raised in is really weird as a denomination i mean partially because history nerd time it came into existence entirely so henry VIII could have a divorce yeah (laughs) yeah but like yeah it's the kind of like kitchen sink of denominations so like in the uk um if you walk into uh two catholic churches opposite ends of the country buildings are going to be different but the service will be broadly speaking this 
change. The same is true of like uh, Methodist churches or Baptist churches or and so on and so forth. Church of England, like it really is roulette when you go in because um, the church I went to was quite high church. So like we've got set bits where we stand up and we sit down, we do the old fashioned hymns, like we use the old fashioned text with all the these and those left in and, and it's uh, largely attended by older people. So people often think that that means because they put it's old fashioned, ritualistic and uh, broadly attended by elderly people. They think that means, oh, they're going to be more right wing. They're not going to be as, you know, like cool with gay people or whatever. And I found honestly that most people attending those kind of churches just honestly couldn't give less of a shit. Like they're they're really more interested in whether we're having custard creams or bourbons after the service than whether or not the minister is gay like (laughs) it's really funny as a biscuit lover that is an important question (laughs) yeah like um and then um at the opposite end because I went to a CV school as well so I had friends that went to different churches to me I have uh, a very close friend that went to also a church of England church but hers was um a lot more modern they used very very modernized versions of the text uh they had like a band instead of an organist that like a projector like and they were all about getting families in and you know get up and dance in the aisles but at the same time their church was a lot more uh evangelical and right-wing so uh when uh when i first came out at 14 um to her she was a bit like oh no <laughs> gays are gays are going to hell and we we sat down and we talked about it and like she to this day remains one of my very best friends um but yeah and that's within the same denomination we had two very different upbringings but also people would maybe look at her church and think oh it's more modern therefore it's more liberal which is just and it's attended by a younger audience therefore it's more liberal it's absolutely not the case yeah wow I I, my personal relationship with the church is that um I went to I remember going to church as a child with my mum and I went to a Roman Catholic junior school um so there was lots of cross crosses and masses and praying all the time for everything and um my mum was very loosely into religion. Like I think at the time she was definitely looking for something and, and I don't think she found it in the church and she did a lot of like crystal healing and other type, you know, looked at different avenues and things like that. Yeah. Um, so my relationship with the church has always been almost one of, of it, it's just a part, it's just a history. It's just a, a part of, of human history rather than it being something spiritual for me. And that um, kind of look at the social aspect of, of Christianity and what it means to be Christian as a white person in, living in, in, the, in the UK. Yeah, um, I think one of the, the biggest differences when you're talking about Christianity as the status quo and Christianity as white people being oppressive is that is quite an American view of um, Christianity. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. it, it is also also true in like um, Britain and the rest of Western Europe as well. I'm not saying that it, it's not, because I'm like, no, no, it's been the status quo for hundreds of years, but it's, it's also um, 
kind of declined far more rapidly um, and it has like a completely different function in in this country than it does in the US so because I was raised going to churches where the majority of people that attended were uh, like over the age of 70 um, so at one point when my dad was in his 50s he was referred to as one of the young ones <laughs> when they were like moving something and my dad was like you what um yeah um it, it's got a completely different function um and there were a lot of jokes about uh old people coming in and putting their hours in <laughs> you know yeah um, but but also like um there were a lot of people that that were very alone in their day-to-day -day lives that um they'd they'd like lost their family throughout living them or through through like um unfortunate personal circumstances or, or whatever and it, it really was a community hub and it was it was important to look after people in that way so i think from a very young age i associated the church with a notion of kindness yeah um and i think i came to the kindness of it before i necessarily came to the spirituality of the thing which i think came about more when I was a teenager uh, and in sixth form when I started looking into theology and things and getting um, getting to grips with the text properly um, and things like that I, but I think I think that aura of uh, community and kindness came first yeah so what was so with that kind of context what's the um, what was the motivation behind writing this as a full collection because I remember in the in the launch you were sort of saying about how you'd like written one the first one years and years ago this has obviously mm -hmm. like been a long project for you yeah so I wrote um Simon Peter was the first one and I wrote that that was one of the first poems that I ever had published so let's see that was before I started doing my master's but after the referendum results. So it must have been like 2017, 2016, 2017, something like that. Um, and yeah, I wrote, <laughs> I wrote Simon Peter most, uh, and it's obvious when you read the poem, mostly as a, a channel for my feelings about Brexit, but without having to say the word Brexit, because I was already sick to death of it at that point. And I'm like, it's, and yeah, it, it was the, the metaphor of literally being a fisher of men the the that kind of grabbed me and I thought oh this was a cool poem in isolation and then I kind of put it to one side and then I came back to the concept later when I suddenly found myself writing like uh Matthew and Mary Magdalene and things like that yeah um, yeah because uh I've been writing about god a long time and I, I kind of joke that all of my poems are about god <laughs> especially when they're not about god and especially when they're about sex. <laughs> <laughs> like, people seem to be aware of me as a poet either as, oh, that poet that writes about God, or oh, that poet that writes about sex. <laughs> yeah, I'm, and to be honest, I've read a few poems that have been God and sex being synonymous with each other. So, uh, I blame Leonard Cohen. It's entirely his yeah, fault. Yeah, one hundred. So the, the poems that you've had written, or, or, or like if anyone 
if you're listening and you you did catch the launch then there was part of the reason why i loved it so much was because of the the historical context between all of the poems that you were doing and like grounding those people you know in the context of of the bible but also with that fresh nuance of queerness and i i think we live in an age where we're starting to get better at talking about queerness but we've got a long way to go in terms of trans rights and yeah general acceptance and representation of trans people in the poetry community and in writing in general so you're writing these poems in a post in a kind of post-brexit light of oppression and oh god you know especially for queer people it was a really horrible time and there was a collective holding of breath um and despair afterwards so that like that context of writing after brexit and also coming out as a as a trans man yourself like the importance of of that representation within the work and i'm talking specifically about the jude poem yeah uh when I when I sort of kind of went okay this is going to be a series and I'm going to write a poem for every apostle I thought about like I already had one or two written and I then thought about the the kind of characters that I wanted these people to to be as contemporary people and I, I was thinking that um obviously the apostles are all men in the in the bible yeah um which doesn't sit right with me in terms of a modern reinterpretation and uh, that's also part of the reason i included mary magdalene because um women are incredibly important in the gospels particularly in the gospel of luke it's women that uh, jesus uh goes to see first when he comes back from the dead it's women that are there at the very key moments when everyone else has fucked off and um they they also have their own stories that come after the bible about uh after the bible after the gospels um about what they went on to do and about um acts uh acts of the apostles but but with women so the there's figures like uh, mary magdalene and um polyzina um who don't get talked about as much um and yeah so it was really important to me to have more women in these spaces um because they're often held up as an example to contrast with the failings of the apostles as well um and also it was really important to me personally to talk about queerness and transness so um there's more than one queer poem in there john is is queer as well but john um isn't a meditation on queerness so much as it's a meditation on love um like the the queerness is more of a a footnote in john uh, whereas it's kind of fully present in in jude um and jude is also um in catholicism the patron saint of lost causes which i think is just the most delightful thing to be (laughs) patron saint of uh the the (laughs) the historical reason that jude is called the patron saint of lost causes is because before the reformation um so uh, jude is also known as judas uh, that's separate to judas iscariot like the other judas jude is just a short form of that and um a lot of um medieval people would not pray to saint judas 
for fear that they were accidentally praying to Judas Iscariot. <laughs> but, <laughs> like you, you laugh now, but it was like a really big issue at the time. Yeah, so yeah. Um, if you were praying to St. Jude, it was considered an absolute last resort. Like only people in the most dire of circumstances prayed to St. Jude. Right. And that's why he became the patron saint of lost causes. Um, but also I've known several Judes in contemporary times that are women. That, that So I started thinking about uh, Jude as a trans woman. Also, um, St. Jude has been uh, adopted by Christian trans people as the patron saint of trans people because they're the patron saint of lost causes. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, so we're still giving saints patronages in like the modern age. So it's like there's a lot of not just in terms of what you can actually source from um, the Bible itself, but in terms of like the mythological traditions that carry along, uh, carry on outside the Bible, a lot of that also went into the figures. Yeah. Um, so that's why I picked Jude specifically. <laughs> yeah, that, that was one of the, the hardest ones to write emotionally. Do you um, want to talk about why? Like a little bit more just in terms of... Um, yeah, so I've I've been fortunate in that um, I have, in my personal cir circumstances, never had a clash between my faith and my transness, but I know that a lot of people have. So I have um, trans and non-binary friends that have been like kicked out of their churches for coming out and stuff like that. And a lot of people that have put up with um hate crimes and all uh, all sorts I, I know a lot of people like that um yeah it, it was kind of a lot of anger went into that poem as well as as well as all of the the kind of like love um because as much as much as I talk about um I think I talked about this a little bit in my blog post that there is kind of like a radical kindness to my interpretation of Christ and the Bible but at the same time, I think the flip side of kindness is anger. Um, because, yeah, I, th I think kindness and anger go hand in hand. Because if you are someone that is kind, um, when you see injustice, there's, there's an absolute fury that kind of twists inside of you about it. And it's yeah. the same with Jesus in the Bible. So at the same time as he's someone out there who's like offering healing to people um, and love and inviting all of these sinners to be, be with him, there's also the scene in the temple where he, he sees the house of God and there's like money changing hands and and people being preyed upon by like money lenders and all sorts and he gets so angry he flips the tables over <laughs> <laughs> and that is where that common expression comes from the flip a table yeah, <laughs> yeah. jesus did it first <laughs> i think i think yeah you're you're definitely onto something in terms of talking about kindness and anger going hand in hand and like yeah, very personal experiences with that in terms of being really triggered by injustice. And I think that the people that I find the work the most interesting, that they have that balance. Like I, I like to look for that quality in, in people's work, that negotiation between anger and, and kindness, because it is, it is a bit of a conflict. And I see that in, in, in the poems and in your work and the way that you're trying to, to, to yeah. that balance. 
that that's what I find really upsetting about this modern interpretation of Jesus as this super pacifist. I'm like, number one, that's not true. But number yeah. two, you can't be that kind of like just letting it happen person. You know, doing your best as a as a a Christian or as a moral person. Yeah, you know, it's that it's that notion of letting evil happen. Yeah. That, that you become complicit in it as uh, as well um and i think as well like in in modern christianity it's so much associated with white christianity and used as an oppressive tool and a colonizing tool bringing it back to reminding people that jesus was palestinian and was a freedom fighter it sort of brings it all back around again and reclaims it as well yes so there's two two passages in the Bible that are brought up to talk about Jesus as um, a pacifist, um, and they're both to do uh, well. So the you know the expression "turn the other cheek" comes from the Bible. Yeah. Um, so uh, Jesus is asked a question in uh, in a crowd of people, um, and it, it's by a slave, and the slave says, "What shall I do if my master strikes me on the cheek?" uh and he he says then you should turn turn the other cheek and, and people use that expression to mean you know let it happen don't rise to it that kind of thing but when you put that back in its historical context it literally means the opposite of that um because um so when when um the when hebrew people owned slaves they were allowed to strike the slave with the open palm of their clean hand so they were not allowed to strike him with their unclean hand because that was a sin. Um, the other thing that they weren't allowed to do was to strike the slave with the back of their hand because slapping someone with the back of their hand was reserved for an equal. So when the slave turns the other cheek, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, and invites the master to slap him again, wow. he's either saying you have to acknowledge that you're committing a sin or alternatively you've got to treat me as an equal. Right. Um, and the, there's a similar passage where, where someone says, um, because uh, Palestine was occupied at the time by the Romans, um, so a Roman could ask uh, any, any individual in Pal any Hebrew individual in Palestine to carry their pack for a mile, and they would be forced to do it under the law. So a man says to Jesus, what do I do if a Roman asks me to carry his pack and Jesus says, for a mile? And Jesus says, well, then you carry it for two. And people, you know, take that to mean, you know, go above and beyond what is asked of you, you know, mm. uh, or, you know, you need, you need to like obey the, the system. And actually, Romans were allowed to get anyone to carry their pack for a mile up to a mile. After that, it was considered forming a militia and they were committing an act of treason against the Roman state. Oh, wow. So like when he says, if they ask you to carry a pack for miles, just run off with it and get them in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. The whole give unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar is the whole money is worthless. It's got Caesar's face on it. Who cares? You know, <laughs> or like all of these things, when you take them out of their historical context, they sound like pacifist nonsense. But when you put them back in their historical context, they're actually really rebellious, revolutionary things to say. And that's why people were so upset with him for saying them. So the, the process of putting the book together, so obviously it's a pamphlet, which is like a shorter 
um, poetry collection. In terms of editing and things like that, did you work with an editor or a couple of people? Um, how was that um, writing process for you in terms of putting the whole thing together? Um, when I write poems normally, um, I have like a, a few people that I trust that I send them out to and edit them uh, to, to, you know, have that second pair of eyes on it. And that that's just a normal part of my writing process. So before I'm even thinking about putting a poem into a pamphlet, I'm already thinking about uh, editing it because um, for me, that's what turns something from a nice idea into a good poem is it's all in the editing stage. Yeah. Um, like in terms of this particular um, pamphlet, because it was it, it was a special project, so I knew that I wanted this poem and this poem and this poem and this poem, and then I organised them in in a kind of chronological narrative order. That made the editing in terms of actually putting it together, the editing of it a lot easier. But um, yeah, there were a lot of people that specifically helped me out with that. Um, Sam Gridgings was one of them. Like. Um, he was like really really helpful in the editing of the poems and my partner Bob Horton yeah a couple of other people like Kate Garrett and Pete Green who have been on the poetry ride with me for a while <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kate Garrett was um I refer to uh, her as my Jedi master quite a lot because yeah. um she, she published my first ever poem that I had in print and uh, she also gave me my first ever editing position at Three Drops from a Cauldron. So everything is her fault. <laughs> <laughs> See, I often would like the poetry world to be a bit like the drag world in the sense that we would have like poetry mums. <laughs> like, like, and then you would have like House of Kinsmen. Like I would love to be part of House of Kinsmen. <laughs> hey. Oh. Good. Well, yeah, I mean, the in terms of um, obviously releasing in lockdown, obviously you were potentially doing a, a launch and everything. How was, how was doing an, an Instagram launch? Um, I'd never used Instagram Live before, so there was a bit of, like, um, me messing around on my personal Instagram earlier and, like, being like, uh, uh, I live in the same house as my sister and being like, B. B, I need you to run upstairs and I need you to just look at your phone and I need you to tell me if you can see and hear me. <laughs> I was just like having a proper grandma moment. Um, but yeah, no, it, it was um, really fun. Um, I've done like a couple of Zoom gigs during lockdown. And what I find weirdest is um, the lack of the lack of audible clapping and audible Yes, the social cues. Yeah, because yeah, you're just yeah. like, um, I guess I'll okay. move on now. Yeah. <laughs> so when I chatted to Maria Ferguson for the podcast a few weeks ago, she was saying that she lines up her cuddly pandas behind the screen as like an audience. And I and and then I did an online gig and I didn't have any cuddly toys because I was at my mum's house at the time. So I just got the the few photos of my friends that I had taken with me and just oh. lined them up. And that really kind of worked. Yeah, it kind of worked. And um, obviously, the applause was a bit of an issue, but I'm sure you could find some like a canned applause, like on Spotify. Uh, or something. I mean, I I have three cats, so and there's normally yeah. at least one in my bedroom at any given time. But uh, they've Perfect. overall shown uh, complete disinterest in my poetry. 
How rude. <laughs> yeah. Who In knew? fact, there's two of them asleep at the end of my bed as I speak to you, completely ignoring me. Oh, lovely. <laughs> they don't get it. They don't get it. So um, are you up for doing maybe one or two poems from the, from the book for us? You can pick yeah. your favourite. I mean, I would well, love to hear Jude again. Oh, uh, yeah. As a request once. And then maybe one that you that's your favourite or one that's speaking um, to you right now. I think I'd probably do John because I, I John is probably my favourite one in the in the pamphlet. And I know it's probably not the easiest one for other people to understand because but for me John is like the most spiritual of the of the poems in the pamphlet and it I don't know, it, John is very, very personal for me. Okay. Great. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll do Jude and then I'll do John. Oh, they follow on from one, from one another. Yay. Perfect. Um, yeah, so um, all, if you weren't at the launch, all of the poems in the pamphlet start with a Bible verse because it was really important to me when I was writing it that um, people could see that it wasn't like a flight of fantasy that it was all grounded in the text. And that's also why it was important to me to get an endorsement from, from somebody involved in the church. So yeah. uh, uh, my, uh, the Reverend Dr. Mike Kirby, who's <laughs> actually since, since the book came out, he's taken on a new title. Uh, oh, wow. He is now Canon Scientist. They had to resurrect a title that hasn't been used in like 200 years for him. Because uh, he's got really a- cool. <laughs> Yeah, because he's got a PhD in medical physics, right? Um, as well as his um, uh, all, all of his religious qualifications. Uh, so they're like, yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, but yeah, so he's he's a he's a, a friend of my family. He's the musical director of my choir, and uh, I've known him since I was literally a baby. So. Oh, um, but yeah, um, he's a really good person to talk to or get in contact with if you're interested in Christianity at all but yeah so um the the bible quote for the start of Jude is from Psalm 72 verse 14 he will rescue them from oppression and violence for precious is their blood in his sight and here's the God hates fags brigade bumping against you hoping to topple you hands grazed against the concrete bring you down low and humble sad they're smirking sad my lad what are you doing running around dressed like that all pink and florals floating sleeves and draping skirts jude you see through clenched teeth while they remind you how burning tarmac reeks, how fallen bricks send up clouds of dust, how cities crumble because you kiss boys, because you rouge your cheeks when you're feeling brave enough. Their hands curl into fists, laughter threaded in their throats because their wrath is not the deadliest of sins, it's your rainbow painted fingernails. Ain't Jesus ever teach you that you're screeching, take his name out of your filthy mouth, your blood on the pavement when they scatter, when blurred arms bear you down to the river to wash their stains from your skin, healing, crackling over broken cheekbone, swollen eye, 
flip-flip. Sister, I am with you. He's never once called you Thaddeus. Seeing your naked body, seeing the woman with her flat chest, the limp flesh between her legs, see perfection. He presses a tender kiss to your forehead. Sister, there's no such thing as lost causes. Um, yeah, cool. <laughs> I, hope the, the, I hope the mic kicks up the clapping. <laughs> there you go. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> the social Thank piece. you. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, and then um, John. So the, the verse that for John is um, the shortest verse in the entire Bible. It's it's just two words, um, and the the passage is actually from um, when Jesus arrives uh, at Mary and Martha's house and discovers that Lazarus is already dead. Um, so this is John chapter 11, verse 35, Jesus wept. In the night, his body is warm as any man's. You place your ear to his chest, listening for thunder, for birdsong, for a newborn screaming, and hear only his heart beating steady, slow, soft breath. It's so easy to love him like this. Fingers and mouth, voice and vision present beside you. But this morning you watched Lazarus climb out of the earth, beloved or rot and spasms, beloved colour seeping back into skin, beloved because his God commands it. This God here in the bed. And there's something in his eyes already broken like time stretched taut and snapped. If you ask me to die for you, I'll do it. If I ask you to survive for me, could you do it? In the next room, Lazarus sits so violently awake, so unfamiliar, like he left the man in his grave. How foolish it seems to pray, and yet still you whisper, don't ask me to. God, don't ask me to. Cool, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> More clapping. You just get those um coconuts, you know, like they're doing <laughs> on Brian, Life of Brian. <laughs> anyway, totally sidetracked. Um, uh, thank you so much for uh, taking some time out to talk to me. Um, oh, my pleasure. Is there anything else you want to add uh, about the book or any upcoming gigs or, or, or anything that you've got going on at the moment? Uh, I mean, my uh, upcoming gig calendar is uh, pretty empty at the moment Wide because uh, <laughs> beautiful, beautiful coronavirus came in and ruined like six months worth of plans for me. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, I, was get, I was planning to do Witness as a, a show and take it up to the fringe this year which is obviously now cancelled but witness will be coming as a show at some point fantastic yes i would i will be there oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you so much bridget um and for like yeah for for your face in my my weird little god bothering poems <laughs> no worries i think it's 
my pleasure as an, uh, an editor, as a, a gatekeeper in the community, that I get to, to decide who we give our platform to. And I, I, one of the things I love so much is the, the variety and the places that people come from with it. And I think particularly, as I said at the beginning, Witness in, in this particular, in that particular round of open submissions, Witness was one that really, really stood out for me again because it I felt transported immediately, um, and that's a testament to your your amazing uh, writing ability. Um, so thank you, really, because you you oh. wrote the book and then you published and then you know here we go, here we are. So um, yeah. you know, thanks for inspiring little non-religious me over here, and, and yeah, <laughs> um, it's a really good collection. And if you haven't read it yet, you can get it from Jonathan Kinsman uh, dot Big Cartel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Bigcartel.com. Woohoo. You get a signed copy there, or you can uh, get a copy with maybe some other Burning Eye books, whatever you like, from the Burning Eye website, <laughs> burningeye.co.uk. Um, you can listen to this podcast and download it from wherever. Tell your friends, uh, rate and subscribe that would be fantastic um and we'll be back soon with uh another weekly poem and another interview with somebody else so thank you so much john it's been amazing to talk to you oh thank you for having me <laughs>